Now that, now that I've been introduced, I'm going to uh, ask Vicky to come straight back up again because, as you know, we're going through the book of Mark and uh, because the uh, message that we preach doesn't always encompass the whole part of the verse that we're, we're covering, uh, we've decided it's a good idea for actually to have that read out so that by the end of this series, you will have actually heard the Gospel of Mark from beginning to end. So I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Vicky if she'll come up. And read us the relevant section. It's Mark 6, verse 14 to 29. Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said... He's the prophet Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, he came back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother's, Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and, godly, uh, sorry, good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. But even so... He liked to listen to him. Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that pleased, greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist, right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he'd said, but because of the vows he'd made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and bury it in a tomb. What a horrible story. Who feels a bit disturbed by that? Yeah, well, let's, let's, uh, let's pray then. Lord, I thank you that your word, no matter how difficult sometimes to understand and possibly horrific in its content, we know it actually has a message for us that we can take home, that we can act on, and that it's going to change our lives and bless our future. And we're going to take this word this morning and use it for that purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Here we see a fairly disturbing 
incident. And I don't know about you, but you've got to ask the question, why did Mark stick it in there? Because, you know, I don't know about you, but often I read the Bible and you, you sort of read it like it's meant to be. It sort of, it flows and you read it and you don't question why this chapter follows that chapter or, or the order of things were put in because we, we consider it a holy book and therefore whatever they decided to do is fine by us and we just read it. But the gospel writers didn't think like that. They each had their own individual revelation of who Jesus was and what he meant and their gospels are actually tailored to fit the message that they particularly wanted to get across to the reader because of what they had as a revelation. Now Mark was very interested in letting us know about the, the power and the glory and the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ and in actually showing that there was a path of evidence which showed that he was the son of God and that the way to follow him followed a certain pattern and we've just finished talk, looking at um, the, the section of, of scripture where he actually sends out his 12 disciples and gets them, gets them started on the road to ministry. And following this particular section, and spoiler alert, and sorry about the Eurovision Song Contest for those of you who hadn't watched it. Um, after this, the passage after this, we, we get to talk about how Jesus feeds 5,000 people and walks on water. Woo! No, just me. Okay, it's pretty exciting stuff. And in the middle of it, we've got a sandwich. In the middle of it, there's this really horrible story about John the Baptist. And so, why didn't, why didn't Mark just continue on? Because he's telling us good stuff. It's about stepping out in faith. It's about walking in the way of Jesus. We need to be built up, encouraged that we are a faith-filled people destined to do wonderful things for the glory of God. Amen. Right. Well, I am anyway. Don't know about you lot. But instead, and he must have gone to the school of um, George Martin or perhaps even uh, Brendan, and he, he employs a literary and movie um, tool that people use to tell stories, and he, he does a flashback right in the middle of this. And you still think, wow, why has he done that? Because, you know, we, we didn't seem to be heading in that direction. Here we are building up our faith. We're realizing that we have to step out and do things in faith. And suddenly, by the way, just so happened that Jesus' best friend gets knocked off most horribly and gruesomely. So I think, yeah, yeah, I needed to know that. But it's actually has two functions. It's a cautionary tale. Who knows that if you hear something about how life is going to be and it's all good, you get suspicious. If you hear it's all bad, the same thing. But you, we recognise that even though that we have been given a destiny and the power of God in our lives, things come against us. Anybody ever had that? Good. So it, it's a cautionary tale, but it's also a prophetic glimpse into the future because it involves Jesus as well. This story involves the character of two men. One, John, whose character is very much like Jesus, and another one, this guy, Herod, who, whose character is somewhat questionable. And so... Let, let's look at these people. We, we know a fair bit about John the Baptist. Would you agree? I mean, we've just, we me, you meet him in the very first chapter of Mark. We're up to chapter 6 here. So, you know, six chapters ago, we met John the Baptist. We discovered what he was all about. He was a man appointed by God to prepare the way for the arrival of Jesus the Messiah. 
we know that he preached repentance and that those who repented he baptized and we know that he even baptized Jesus himself so we knew that about John so we get this idea that he's a holy man he's doing work for God and that he's pretty dedicated there's mentions of funny clothes that he wears and food that he eats and things so we, now we discover that his uncompromising attitude has made him an enemy of Herod's wife not a good thing to do now her influence gets him thrown in jail the interesting thing is that his integrity gets him the king's respect and the king protects him which of course further infuriates his wife His faith and his integrity never waver. But in the end, Herod's wife gets her way and he gets killed. This situation is quite interesting. The whole idea that Herod married his brother's sister doesn't sound such a bad thing. His brother's wife, sorry. (laughs) It was nearly sisters, but let's not... She was actually a cousin. So him marrying her, they they were too close together genetically anyway. But the fact that he married his brother's wife wouldn't have been bad if his brother had died or even got divorced. But he just happened to like her and married her and I don't think his brother was particularly happy about it. Neither was his first wife, who was still alive as well. So it's not not quite as simple as it sounds. Herod was a lusty fellow and basically had broken every moral law there was just to, to have Herodias as his wife. And so... He knew that it wasn't a good thing. But his reaction to it and Herodias's were were quite different. So, John is the person that we as Christians aspire to be. Would that be fair enough? We like to be a a person that stands by their convictions. We want to be somebody who is faithful to God, even under intense pressure, to the point of persecution and death. Although, let's face it, Most of us hope that that last bit doesn't actually happen. So why does Mark take us through this story of Herod and his rather disreputable family shenanigans? Shenanigans, for those of you who aren't Irish, just means naughty things. I think it's because he's warning the reader that while John is the character that we should aspire to be like, Herod is the character that we are most likely to default to if we are not diligent in growing in our faith and keeping our focus on the kingdom of God. Now, I forgot to mention before I started preaching this morning that there will be stuff in here which will offend you. I'm going to say things to you which could sound as though I think you're people of poor character and of little faith. Um, And yes, I am, so let's get that out of the way. And you need to respond to it correctly, which is forgiving me. Now, you see, and because you sort of think, well, no, there's no way that I would want to be like Herod because he's an evil man. Now, John is a really good man and I, I, I want to be like him. But the thing is, if we look at it, we see that Herod is actually not an intrinsically evil person. He's a worldly person. He's a person of some influence. Who likes to feel that they have some influence in the world? We all... I assume all your hands are up. It's just a bit dark in here and I can't see. So I'm just assuming you all want to be influential people. You want to influence someone, whether it's your children, your your relatives, your your workplace, whatever it is. We influence people. And so he's a person of influence. And funnily enough, he, he, he is a lucky person of influence because he gets exposed to the gospel twice. 
he gets exposed to it by John. And later on, and here we spoiler alert again, he actually gets to meet Jesus as well. So he, he gets a double whammy. He's heard the gospel message twice. And guess what happens? He ignores it totally. No, he doesn't. It tells us that he is deeply touched and influenced by both John and Jesus. So they both actually speak to his heart. And we, we can see this. Mark chapter 6, verse 20 says, For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man. So Herod wasn't blind to these things, and he wasn't oblivious to the message. Said he protected him. He knew his wife was a bad sort, and he was protecting John. Interestingly, it says Herod was deeply disturbed every time he spoke to John, because John pricked his conscience. John told him what was right, and he knew he was doing the wrong thing. And yet it said, but even so, he liked to listen to him. This, this, Herod is like your relatives who poo-poo you and your faith, but like to talk about it every so often. They like to have discussions with you, philosophical discussions, because they're not interested in religion. And it's okay for you to believe, but don't try and force your views on me. But have you ever had those? They bring it up every time you meet. They want to talk about faith. It's because there's something in the message that we have which stirs them inside. It makes them feel uncomfortable, but they like it. Because there's a potential for change there. He's a, Herod is a man on the cusp. And later on, Mark 15, verse 9, he's reached the point at which the Jewish leaders have asked him to put a, make a judgment about Jesus. And so he, he, he knows what, who Jesus is. And he says, would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? You can see already it's like, okay, I've got Jesus in prison. And there's this other guy, Barabbas, who's a real knob. Um, perhaps, perhaps they'll let me release Jesus, because I know he's a good guy. And it says, so would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews, Pilate asked. For he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. So already in his mind he's thinking, this guy doesn't deserve what they're doing. They've got a grudge against him. But at the point, at that, this point, the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, here he is again, what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? See, Pilate's on Jesus' side. And Pilate was on John's side. He is almost at that point where if he stood up and really stood by his convictions, he, he, he could change his life around and accept Jesus and actually be a powerful figure for good. So what stops him? The world has its hooks in him. He has made promises. He relies on popular support. You know, sometimes, as uh, Patrick Stewart said, it's good to be king. But sometimes it's not. Because even as king, you can't always just do what you want. He needs the favor of powerful people around him to maintain what he considers the lifestyle that he needs and wants. So when it comes to John's death, this is what happens. It says, 
Herodias's chance. And in other gospel versions and in popular culture, Herodias, the daughter's name is Salome. You've heard of Salome and the dance of the seven veils? Well, this is where she does it. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Why did he do that? Why didn't he just invite his friends? Because he needed the influence and the support of powerful, powerful people around him. It says, Then his daughter came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I'll give you whatever you ask, even up to half my kingdom. What sort of dance was this? I mean, you know, the mind boggles at the sort of... The mind boggles. <laughs> um, and he, so he offers a, a, a massive reward for this dance. It's better than Eurovision. <laughs> better than Dancing with the Stars, any of that sort of stuff. And he even vowed, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. Now, every fairy tale you read, the king gives, offers somebody half his kingdom. Have you noticed that? And even here, I mean, Herod, for a start, he didn't have a kingdom. He was a Roman puppet governor. They just left him with the title of king. But if he stepped out of line, the, the Romans would have stepped in and said, <laughs> forget it, you're out of here. So he didn't have half a kingdom to give. Because even back then, it was a, it was a proverbial saying. If you do what I, what I want you to do, I'll give you half my kingdom. It, it, they weren't serious. If somebody offered you half their kingdom back then, you couldn't take them seriously. And if somebody offers it to you now, don't take them seriously. Okay? So, he, the, the th it was just a throwaway line. You can have anything you like, even half my kingdom. Ha, 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 Forget it. So she went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? You know, and what would your mother say? Jewelry? New car? Something? No, I'm sure your mother would say, yeah, some guy's head would be nice. On a plate, preferably, fresh. But this is what her mother says. Ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the her girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of ba John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said. But because of the vows he'd made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. How often does that happen to people? Because of the things you've said in public, because of the promises you've made behind closed doors, because of the public persona that you have, because of the image you have to maintain. When God calls you, how often do we say, sorry, but I've made promises. I've got obligations i need the money and we don't follow god's call because and we regret it we're not bad people are we none of us are bad people here all the bad people please raise their hands <laughs> honest people good <laughs> and and so herod has actually been boxed into a corner by his worldly obligations the same thing happens with jesus crucifixion we just read how he's standing there saying, well, Jesus didn't do anything. Why are you guys giving him such a hard time? And in Mark 15, verse 15, it says, So, to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tip whip and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. 
Why? Because Jesus was a criminal? Because he hated Jesus? Because Jesus had said things that Herod didn't like? No. To pacify a bunch of screaming, yelling people, he crucified, got, had Jesus crucified. Is that a good reason? Good. I'm just wondering, if you all turned nasty, I'd be in trouble. So Herod was responsible for the deaths of both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. He may not, may not have done the actual killing. But the thing is, if you think about it, he was someone who actually had the power in his hands to prevent their death. If he had stood up, if he had manned up to his responsibility, he could have said, no, I'm not letting you kill John the Baptist. He could have said, no, Jesus is not a criminal. You cannot have him and I will not allow him to be crucified. And his word would have stood. Imagine how history would have changed. Never mind. So he allowed them to die, not because they were criminals, not because he despised them, not because the message that he knew was good was annoying him that much, because he was impacted by it. He, he saw the value in it. He was just afraid to act on his conviction. He was a double-minded man. And we all know, if we read, James, who likes the book of James? James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If you need wisdom, who needs wisdom? Who doesn't? You're all liars. Ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. That's important. Often, who, is that, who remembers primary school? I still remember primary school. It might have been longer ago than for some of you but I remember having a fear of the time in class where they'd say okay what's the answer to this question and everybody ooh 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 Misa 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 do you ever have people in your class who did that I used to do this make sure it was behind the head of the guy person in front because I knew the answer I thought but I'd seen what had happened with the teacher when somebody would say oh me me and they'd give the answer and they'd say that's not the answer. Come on, have you been studying? What is wrong with you? Who else? Come on, you, you. And they'd start picking people out. And if they couldn't get the right answer, they were ridiculed. And so I was 99.9999999% sure that I had the right answer. But I didn't want to ask, answer the question or ask it in case I was ridiculed. And so often we think about, God, could I ask for this? What if God laughs at me? What if God says no? What, what if he sort of puts black marks in the book of life? And he, that Chris, I don't know, he keeps asking for ridiculous stuff. I'm, I'm just, every time he prays, I'm going to turn off. It's just ridiculous, the things he's asking for. And we, we get this whole idea that God isn't as for us as he, he should be. Whereas God is for us more than we can even believe he is. And the thing is that we need to ask God because it says he, he will not rebuke you for asking. But when you do ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Ooh. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. 
what horrible people. Who would, who would ever associate with people like that? We've all been double-minded. We've all been tugged both ways. But we know the way we should go. Heaven forbid that any of us would be like that. But we are. We're with John. Come on. Who's with me? We're strong in our faith. Nothing that comes against us will prosper. Is that right? We tear down spiritual strongholds in Jesus' name because we are more than conquerors. He's feeling good. Yes. You're not good enough. No. None of us would ever be like Herod. We're not swayed by public opinion. Worldly pleasures have no hold over our lives whatsoever. The influence of ungodly people and ideas just flow off our back like water off a duck's back. We are impervious to the ideas and the ideologies of this world because we are just so strong in our faith, you liars. (laughs) This passage of Scripture is sandwiched between the accounts of miracles, signs and wonders that Jesus performed because Mark is reminding us that unless we are actively pursuing Christ, it is easy to be distracted and blown off course. And it's not by the devil. It's by the lure of worldly things. What does that look like in today's world? You see, Herod wasn't a particularly evil person. We can actually see the good in him. He recognized the holiness and the goodness in both John and Jesus. He was sympathetic to their cause. He even listened to the gospel messages and was impacted by it in the fact that it affected and changed his heart. But he was just double-minded. He couldn't stand up for his convictions against the pressure of public opinion. How does that look for us today? I want you to think about the world we walk around in. How aligned with the gospel is our government? How aligned with the gospel are our schools? How aligned with the gospel are our is our justice system. Public opinion, which now rules through social media, is not of a Christian nature. And we are lured in by that. Even even just the fact that organisations that we are involved in, good organisations, you know, our schools, our our, our workplaces, our, our sporting institutions... All of these things have slowly eroded the idea that we should put time aside to be with God. You know, Sunday sport is a common thing. I'm sorry if I'm treading on toes here, but it's something that's a lure that takes us away from Christ. Working late on weekends, working on Sundays. I know some people find that difficult to get away from. But uh, these are things that actually lure us away. The idea that we're too busy, we have to get to work early, so I don't have time to read the Bible. I'm going to be at work at six. There are lures. And some of the good things, you know, it's a noble thing to be at a job where you're putting in the hours and you're, you're working for your family, you're pr- providing for your future. It's all good stuff. But if it takes you away from your pursuit of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, what good is it going to do you in the end? We're not talking about sin here. We're just talking about your future. We're talking about the emphasis that you're putting on your life not only for yourself, but the fact that other people are watching. People do what you do, not what you say. 
a horrible thought. But if we are lured by the world, we are taking the next generation with us. We're like you know, salmon going upriver. The tide of the world is actually against us. We actually have to fight to go against that. And if we don't, guess what? Even if we stop for an instant, you get carried backwards through no fault of your own, but we've actually got to keep paddling. We, we cannot afford to be double-minded. And Mark is reminding us here that we require the strength of Almighty God to do that. We require the presence of His Holy Spirit. I want us to stand right now. I want to invite the band back up here. I want us to sing that, that last song, Every Giant. I'm going to, I'm actually going to move this back here, actually over the side. I'm going to open up this altar. Because I believe there's, there's an anointing here this morning to strengthen people. I believe we are all tempted by the lure of the world. We all struggle to keep our faith in perspective. And sometimes we try to do it in our own strength. This morning, as, as, the, as the worship team sings this song, if you're struggling with the lure of the world, if you've been doing it on your own, you need a, a, an injection of the Holy Ghost from God. I want you to come and begin to worship up here on the altar. If you just, if you just want the, an extra bolt of strength, I know God doesn't do it quite like that, but if, if you just want to affirm to yourself before God that you are going to be one of those people who stands firm, that you are going to be John, not Herod, I want you to come out and just strengthen your soul, strengthen your spirit as we worship this morning. Thanks, guys. Start to come. Come on. Just worship out on the altar. Come on. Holy God. Can I get you perhaps to join hands? I just want to pray that the blessing of God, the infilling of His Holy Spirit into your lives. Lord, I thank you that without your power and your grace, your love and your mercy, we are nothing. But you have given us by your sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection a place in heaven, a place next to Jesus and the ability to call on the power of your Holy Spirit whenever we like. We are not alone, mighty God, and we give you thanks for that. But Lord, I call on your Holy Spirit right now to fill these people afresh, to actually bring power in their lives where there hasn't been any before, to bring resilience, to bring strength, to bring grace, to bring power, to bring mercy, love and kindness. I thank you, Lord, that nothing formed of this world will come against them and prosper, that no stronghold is too great for them to overcome they are more than conquerors, that they are more than able to face 
any trial. I thank you, God, that you are strengthening them right now, that you are bringing favor on their lives, that you are making them known in places where your influence is lacking, that they are a voice in the wilderness, that they are becoming your hands and feet to bring the message of the gospel without fear and with great courage. Lord, I thank you that you bless these people. You give them strength right now through your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Fill them now. Fill them now. Fill them now, mighty God. Holy God, thank you, Lord. Come on, let's worship. Lift up the name of Jesus. Come on. You guys may uh, take your seats again. But before I finish, as we do every Sunday, I would like to issue an invitation. If you are here and you have, you may all be seated. just that half of you are standing and half of you are sitting. If you have never actually asked Jesus Christ into your life to declare him your Savior and your Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. All it requires is that once you've acknowledged that you need Jesus, I'd love to pray with you a prayer that just invites him into your heart. And it's a start on that journey to a life walking with Jesus Christ. If you, you may have actually done that before, but you've recognized that your walk with Jesus has actually gone in two different directions and you actually want to re-establish a relationship. Jesus is the, the God of not just the second chance, but every chance that you want to take on him. And so if that's you, in a moment, I'd invite you to lift your hand as well. and We can pray that same prayer together. So can I ask everybody just to close their eyes and bow their heads? And while no one is looking around, if you've never asked Jesus into your life or you wish to re-ask him into your life, can you just raise your hand right now while nobody's looking around so that I can see that hand? Thank you, I see that hand. And I'll pray a prayer with you to invite Jesus into your heart. Is there anybody else? I'll just wait a couple more seconds. Okay. Can everybody stand, please? You can open your eyes as well. I don't want anyone falling over. It's a very bold move to make, but it's a great one in terms of our walk with Jesus. Can I, can I actually ask you to come out the front, Jasmine? And I want everybody to pray the same prayer with Jasmine and I because we need to remind ourselves that God does rule our lives but he has our best interests at heart. So can you all repeat after me? Lord Jesus, I turn away from my old life and I turn to you. I ask you to accept me in your arms as your child 
From this moment forth, I am yours. My life will be walked with you for the rest of my days. I repent of my sins and I start my life anew in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me just pray.